Hey, Jay-Z, I got a question for you. Yeah. What is the future look like for ERP systems? Well, you know, I think it's all going to be browser cloud-based ERP system. Your data is going to be stored in the cloud. I'm using quote marks. Nobody can see that. Mm-hmm. And people are going to be able to enter those transactions and look at that information from anywhere. I know. And ProShop ERP is great. On Sunday mornings, I grab my pot of coffee. I sit down. I do everything I can right from home using that cloud-based system. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. Jim, how you doing, buddy? Good. Feels good to be back. We're back home in Chicago. At MXD in Goose Island, Illinois. It's, it's always good to be here. And I've said this many, many times. You know, I always I feel the the excitement of the manufacturing facility here and what they're trying to accomplish here at MXD. Well, not so. only that, we can't lay on the beach in California for no. you know a week. We at a time. could if we wanted to, but, but we have businesses to run. Yes, but that was fun last week. As a matter of fact, it was. It yeah. was good. We had a so, good time. I have a thought for you. Yeah. When your dad... You want me to think? You're going to have to put okay. on your thinking hat, buddy. Okay, go ahead. When your dad owned Car Machine, did you ever think about leaving him and starting your own business? I did. You did? What did that look like? It wasn't a manufacturing company. Oh, really? It was okay. not a manufacturing a bar? company. At one point, it was a bar. Okay. But then, you know, I've always had this affinity for the music industry, and I've always had this affinity for marketing. Okay. So if I could go back, and I probably still would do this, I probably would do marketing for the music industry in some capacity if I were given the opportunity to go back Working in time. for somebody or working for yourself? Uh, no, probably like I've always been admired people in pop music that there's limited talent, but they've made it super big in, in the industry. I've always wondered, well, it was probably because they just had this, they developed this great marketing team that just exploited the heck out of them. And, you know, because there's so many people, just like anybody that goes into professional sports, I mean, the competition at that level is so uniquely competitive that you you just need something else. You need an edge. You need marketing. You need something to push you over the top because at the end of the day, there's a lot of competition in a lot of industries. And I believe that through a marketing, a really good executed marketing plan, you can do that. So that would be your marketing company or that would be working for somebody else? Uh, what I, I'm trying to get at- I don't at, know. I, do, I don't know if I would necessarily have started my own. I probably would have gained experience through working for somebody. Well, what I'm trying to get at is, yes. you know, I, I, entrepreneurship is a funny thing. And, you know, there's a lot of us that work for ourselves that, mm-hmm. you know, may or may not have started our own businesses. They might have been part of a family legacy. But sometimes I don't feel like I'm I'm somebody that could ever work for somebody else. And we have a special guest on the show today. We do. Who we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and growth and financing and I've content creation and, and stuff like that. And I feel like he's probably someone also that couldn't work for somebody else. But he probably did at one time. And I'm sure well, we all talk do. about that. We all do. Yeah. I, I never have. No, you worked at a bar, remember? Part time. Right. You didn't yeah. own that bar. Never full time. Right. I've had the same full time job my entire career. Right. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's true. You just told me. I know. So tell and me I'm something. telling them about a working nation right now, too. So tell me so something great going on a car. Lots of shipping going on in the last okay. week, finally, because we can invoice all that and you know get some net 30 payments in. So yeah, that's a big thing. Business continues to be really, really strong. We just had a company in from Alabama, quite frankly, yesterday, a major player in the aerospace industry. And they were super happy. They did an audit on us and they left. And it was really, really positive when we showed them our ERP. What kind of an audit? It was a quality and business audit. So they come in, you fill out all these qualification prior to them coming in. What do you have in place? What quality systems do you have in so they're place? They're kind of reinventing like ISO or something like that for no, themselves. No, no, they want to, anybody can put on paper what, yeah. anybody can put on paper what they want you to think and see. Of course. But when they actually, when people come in and physically meet each other and see what's really going on at a company, that's when it comes black and white. That's when the clouds part. And that's when the sun starts to shine either in a negative way or not. So it was super positive. I 
kudos to my entire team. Everyone had a unique role in delivering what this audit was all about, and I was really proud of my team. That's so, great. Yeah, thanks. How about you? Tell me what's happening at Zangers. I'm, do you work? I've, I, I feel I work very hard. <laughs> do you do, but you don't go in that often, do you? So I have a schedule. Okay. And I work out of my home office on oh, that's right. Mondays yes, and Fridays. That. Okay. And then I'm I a wo- little envious. Of I that. work in Illinois on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I work in Indiana on Wednesdays. Which, okay. So today I actually cut my day in the office short in Indiana and drove up here to MXD from Indiana, took the Skyway. I don't Thank like you. paying for the Skyway, but I wanted to make sure I got here on time. Thank you. So. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. So what's going on new? I'm actually thinking about introducing a role in my company, and the role can be best characterized by a title that I don't want to use because it seems too don't lofty give it away. in nature. No, the title is, and my wife was giving me kind of pushback on it because she thought it was more of a political title than a business title, but I said it's becoming more popular in the business environment. I'm going to write it down. Okay. I am going to be creating a chief of staff position. However, I don't think I'm going to call it chief of staff because I don't want to use the word because I don't want to use the word chief. So I think it's going to be called director of staff. And basically, it's kind of a position that where this person is going to utilize like the staff resources that we have and execute things on my behalf and even communicate on my behalf because I, I need to multiply myself, I guess you would say. And That's I a want, want to role. do it in, it, it is a big role and I have a special person in mind for it, somebody that I trust and that I don't have to over explain things to. Me? No. Oh, okay. No. I do I don't not need- I do not want to work with you any more than I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with me in the metalwork. And I I don't know even know if I want to share a hotel room with you again. <laughs> we won't get we won't go there, but we will get into the gruesomeness no. of that. No. Thank you for that. We may even want to edit that out. No, I think it's fine. <laughs> You're gross and the metalworking nation needs to know that. <laughs> So for manufacturing news, I actually have something that is... It's not it's really not, a news not, article. It's not exactly news and it's not exactly manufacturing, but I was listening to a podcast and it had the title, How to Create a Thriving Workplace Culture. We've talked about this before. I listen to a lot of podcasts. It's what I do in the car. You listen to music. I listen to podcasts. Yep, that's true. And they had an idea and they, they cited a trend, which I thought was interesting, where in order to foster an environment where... You could have people who are at different points in their careers, different ages, different objectives that if you provided more options, you could cultivate a better working environment. And what I'm referring to here is like some like simple things. Okay. So like here's a couple examples that they gave. So your your companies, you have what, like six, seven people? Yes. Okay. Seven. So I have about 45 and you can't in two different dynamics. Yeah. It's hard to get like all those people together at one time. And so nearly impossible. And also people want to consume information differently. Like people listen to podcasts, people read and people watch videos. You know, there's all different kinds of people read books. So there's all different ways to consume content. So what they suggested, if you're going to have like an all company meeting, like a, a town hall or something like that, don't make it mandatory and offer it in different ways. So offer people to show up in person offer people to stream the town hall or the meeting and text in or, or post questions that they have and also offer people to consume the video at two times speed at a later time if they want to. Because different people just, you know, you might have a younger generation. He's like, I want to hear this at double time. Like I get too much Jim Carr and if I can go through him and what he has to say that much quicker or too much Jason's anger, I don't know. That's what I want. That's probably hmm. a younger person. I don't, you know, might how, have a I don't know how person. I feel about this. I understand. Yeah. You might have another person who says, I like to be there in person. I like to stand up and ask a question. And I like just to be, to see that the the CEO of my company, who's talking about whatever subject matter that it may be, but you're offering I different think, I options. Think, I think that negates the whole objective of bringing people together at the table and sharing and collaborating. It's got its pros and cons. It definitely does. So, so here's I, another. I'm not like super sold on that quite yet. I'll think about it and listen to what you're saying. So the whole idea, what I'm referring to is just offering options for multi-generation. So the second thing would be instead of just offering like a 401k or some other kind of pension and saying, this is it, or some kind of matching on on that pension, say, you know, we'll offer you a pension or we'll pay down some of your student loan debt. So now you're offering something. You don't mean a traditional pension plan. Those are no, kind of well, absolute. Well, 401k right? is considered a pension. Yeah, but that's not, you know, it's not the, the pension plan def- that our parents knew. You're thinking of like a defined benefit pension. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are gone. Yeah. So that's not what I'm referring They're to. They're not sustainable. So, so to clarify, instead of offering a 401k only, maybe you might say, I want to offer a 401k 
or I will offer to pay down your student loan debt. Hmm. So you're offering options for different generations. Mm -hmm. Something to think about. Something to think about as an option to enhance your culture? You're offering options in order to foster a good environment amongst multi-generations. People in their 20s, people in their 30s, people in their 40s, and so on. Well, here's what I like about that. I like that you're thinking outside of the box because we all know how hard it is to attract and retain new talent. So you're thinking about things that are different. Different attracts new people, new ideas, Mm -hmm. new talent to your company and to your brand. But... I don't necessarily know that they're immediately giving me a warm fuzzy inside on on what they mean to me. What do you mean? Well, like I just said, I don't necessarily know if I like the idea of streaming or videotaping your town hall meetings because I believe a company meeting should be a physical thing where everybody engages. It should be mandatory. I don't care if you come in and just stay for 10 or 15 minutes. You don't have to be there forever. We're not talking about like when we talk about like our level 10 meetings. I'm not referring to that type of meeting. I'm talking about like, no, no, no. Uh, What I'm talking about is when the lead person at the company comes up and makes a presentation in the company and says, this is where we're going. This is why we're going there, or says I'm I'm here to answer your questions. Okay, got, not like no, a colla- okay. not like a collaboration meeting. Because, okay, you know okay. that might be different. so a meeting where you're going to educate them on something, or, or answer questions. Got it. Okay, yeah. And the college pay down thing. What if you have somebody that works for you that never went to college? Well, then they can take the four hundred one k option. Okay. Once again, oh, you're, you're is offering that an, options. Is that an or? The whole point is that you're offering the ors. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So could you introduce our guest? Let's I like would, move on I with would the be show. thrilled to. I would be thrilled to. I was driving here today and I'm like, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting this guy. He's got a lot to talk about and I've got a lot of questions in my head already. I might go off script a little bit. But Just don't. wait till the end, okay? All right, will do. So this gentleman we have here in the MXD studio, his name is John Saunders and you probably have heard that name before. He is the owner of Saunders Machine Works and the face behind NYC, CNC, his YouTube channel. He started his machining endeavors 10 years ago in his personal apartment. He is an influencer among manufacturers with over 300,000 subscribers on YouTube and a massive following on Instagram. He is a bootstrapper and serial entrepreneur that has gone from just a YouTuber to business owner. Please welcome John Saunders to the Making Chip Studio. John, welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah, it, guys. Welcome, John. You're welcome. So, John, as Jim said, you're an entrepreneur at heart. Unlike Jim and I, you did not join a family business. Why machining and why entrepreneurship? So I grew up as a competitive rifle shooter. And the short version of a 10-year-plus story is I stopped shooting competitively and was just doing so recreationally and had an idea for a product. And at the time, I was actually in college for entrepreneurship, but I still made the mistake that I think a lot of folks make, which is they confuse a product with a business opportunity, or they confuse a product with entrepreneurship. And, And really, I think a lot of folks that I look up to and have learned from would tell you that a product is is probably the least important part. It's still important, but the least important part behind what truly is the opportunity to execute on that idea through the resources you have, through the team that you build, that you put together, and the value and the offering that you deliver. Before we hit the record button today, we were talking about marketing and how important it is to be able to find out who your audience is, what are you selling, why should they buy this, and You're talking about the why behind what you exactly. what you do. So, so he, like Jim and I, we want to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. The product. Could be a lot of different things. Sure, sure. And for me, I had the passion and I was a potential customer myself or an end user, but I was probably one of the worst people you could have picked to start this company because at the time I didn't know a bridge port from an end mill. I'd never made things. I didn't have any time or experience sourcing products from vendors. And this kind of hit a low point for me when you know, I was, I'm resourceful. I'm scrappy. I'd got on the internet. I'd found an engineer to help us out. And he had hired his machine shop contacts, his sheet metal contacts to start creating designs and ideas and products. And somebody finally asked about a tolerance. And I, I answered like a carpenter. Plus or minus a 16. Yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't know what a thou was. Yeah. And so I thought this, this isn't going to work. And this, I'm telling this with the benefit of hindsight. It was a little bit muddier at the time going through it, but I'd graduated college. I'd moved to New York City. I was working at a day job. 
And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur and, and help myself, I need to figure some of this stuff out. So I, I wouldn't call it a whim, but it was a pretty big leap of faith. I bought a benchtop CNC machine while I was living in Manhattan and stuffed it. Literally, there's like an iconic photo that I use in presentations where it's, it's literally next to the pillow of my twin bed. Wow. Were you making chips? I was. Yeah. Um, again, with the benefit of hindsight, inc- a wonderful time to be doing this and to be in New York City doing it. YouTube was just coming about. Blogs were getting more popular. Forums were getting more popular. And then we had this kind of renaissance maker movement, which I'm not sure how much overlaps with the Making Chips audience, but certainly at, at my level back then, you have maker spaces coming about. You have 3D printers coming about. You have software like Autodesk Fusion 360, which is letting more folks gain access to CAD and CAM that works. You've got Arduino, which is a huge thing for me as a small physical computing device so that I could actually prototype. You know, I built my first target out of popsicle sticks and then I built one out of Lego. What's the Lego robotics kit called? I know my, all Not my kids. Technics, but there was, there's a robotic yeah. Lego that has a WYSIWYG software editor. And then I realized, wait, I can do this with Arduino, which meant I'm actually in DigiKey now buying real sensors. And that was an important part because when I did start talking to folks to kind of get contract manufacturing for this product, the few I found that were willing to work with us, I think worked with me because they said, this kid's going to figure this out one way or the other because good grief, look at what he's done. You know, I took a 80 pound benchtop CNC machine. It was machining four inch long 4140 parts in six setups over the course of three or four weeks. Wow. I was going to do this one way or the other. And I think that's an important part. You learned part. a lot really quick. Well, and I was, And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was selling myself. I was showing up saying, this is what I have done. I had a Pelican case with all these parts in it and circuit boards and things. And it was kind of a, if you guys are interested, if this is a good fit, let's work together. If not, I'm going on to the next guy. Right, exactly. That's what it's all about. Well, first of all, welcome to Chicago. Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah, I bet. I bet Chicago. I am on vacation, so at any point in time, I may have to leave immediately to resume the uh, recreational activities. I get you, and I I hope you enjoy your stay here in Chicago. But the rifle, were you a trap shooter? No, it was small bore indoor. So kind of like the the Olympic style you would see of prone and offhand. Okay. My dad was almost a professional trap shooter. He was class AA trap shooter for all the time. That was really hard. It was really hard. I mean, he he won many, many, many awards when he was a young man. My my wife, who showed me up when we were in Texas, she grew up knowing how to use a gun, and she beat me in trap shooting. So it was quite embarrassing. That's okay. (laughs) Anyway, Making Chips contends that small manufacturers are at the heart of our industry, and our very own Christine Schmitz wrote an article, Small But Mighty, that discusses the topic, and Chris Fox, our creative director, has even said on our YouTube channel that manufacturing is going to shrink, which gets into this topic. According to the government, all of us in this room would be extremely small businesses. Tell us about your shop and what you do there. Sure. Are you an extremely small shop? Oh, yes. I I think I would would win that award in this room. (laughs) So I moved back to Zanesville, Ohio, which is where I grew up about five years ago. I had spent 10 years in New York City, loved it, but I wanted to pursue this manufacturing thing. And long story short, we now run a company called Saunders Machine Works. Ends up that NYC CNC, while very well recognized on YouTube for this industry, not a great brick and mortar name, a little difficult to say. And the New York City part was part of our story, but but not part of the present business of what we do. So gotcha. Saunders Machine Works, we have a 10,000 square foot shop. We do three things. We run the YouTube channel, which for me is not only a just a a thing I love and enjoy, but and this is going to sound a little cliche, but it's my one little chance to change the world. You're so, giving back to the community. Yeah, well, and, yeah. and just the numbers are insane. I, I, and I don't track this stuff regularly, but the last time I looked, since you and I have been sitting here talking, something like 125 hours of our videos have been watched. Wow. That's so awesome. you start to realize, wait a minute here, this is incredible. So you can inspire people, you can reach out to people. And the story started with with me in New York City not knowing what a f- fly cutter was and surface footage and so forth. So we run the YouTube channel. We have a training facility. So folks come in every month and we do training classes on CAD, CAM, machining, fixturing, work holding, et cetera. With students or with people that are just green in the from the industry? Anybody. Oh, okay. Almost all age ranges. We've had as young as 14 to as old as 88. And you conduct those classes? I used to teach most of them and we now have a full-time teacher. Oh, great. And then the real bread and butter of the business is the quote-unquote Saunders Machine Works brand where we make machining products, mostly fixture plates, and we have a vice-style work-holding thing we call the Mod Vice, which has proven to be quite popular. So, so we is, are it, is a, that a product line? It John? is a product line, yes. Okay. 
So you're not doing contract CNC machining like I would do at Car Machine, where a customer sends you a print or a 3D CAD model and says, I need 20 of these. What is it going to take? What is it going to cost? How many? T- how much lead time do you need? We did do that for a number of years. And? The answer is I don't do that anymore. Okay. It's part of the process of, of growing as an entrepreneur is learning to learning the N-word. No, I, I need, right. I need oh, help with that. Yes. No. So we actually do still do it for a very, very select number of customers. Probably sure. jobs you had already proven out. Exactly. Well, customers that and we... customers and, that you and know. That, and that yeah. goes back to really resonated with what you said about marketing yourself. And I can machine a great part. I can machine a part that is certainly within the specs that the customer needs, but I am not a great machinist. I'm just simply not. I've not been okay. doing it that long. I'm smart. I'm I'm hungry. I enjoy it, but I would not put myself up against a tool and die maker that may work at your shop, period. But that's not what I'm selling. The reason that's that we've, not who you are. That's not your brand, right? That's no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. What I mean is the customers that we've kept on, it's kind of funny because they could go to other shops. And then Frank, there are probably people that may be a little bit cheaper. There may be people who are better quote unquote machinists, but what I'm selling isn't just what gets put in a box or on a skid and sent off. What you're selling is the sort of experience of working with somebody, meaning is that the kind of shop that's able to realize, wait a minute here, you've got an interference fit here, or just dealing with clear communication, not missing deadlines. I may not be the great machinist, but I will keep you informed. We will get ahead of things and I will work my butt off to hit deadlines. And that's what's awesome to me about the kind of American dream is you don't have to be a third generation person with multi-million dollar equipment to just do a really good job. Right. It's shipping the product. I I think as much as people talk about all these industries are being commoditized and everything, and we all struggle with pricing, it's never going to be completely commoditized. There's still that personal experience that you bring to it. You know, you always talk about communication, Jim. It's huge. You know, we always talk about the experience that we give to our clients as well, and you're you're absolutely right. So before we hit record, you also mentioned you went to an entrepreneurial college. And we've talked a lot on the show how being in the CNC machining industry is one of the highest paying jobs that you can get without a college education. However, it's good for some, good for others. I think it just depends on you know your objectives. But tell us about your education. How has that education shaped your business? That's a good question. It uh, is a good question. I think it gives me a comfort level to sort of, sort of speak the lingo. Like I didn't know what a thou was when I had these first products trying to bring to market, but I did know the basics of contract law. I did know some stuff about what's marketing versus advertising. Stuff that's not that complicated, but until you've had the ability to digest it, think about it, see in the context of case studies or examples, it doesn't necessarily make you more likely to be successful, but it's certainly a step in the right direction to be able to be critically thinking. But I think ultimately, in a, in a funny kind of way, it was being in New York for 10 years and seeing how kind of cutthroat and how much you've got to watch your back and everyone's... Was it cutthroat? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. More so than in, is it Zanesville? Correct. Ohio? Oh, Definitely. yeah, totally I different. I mean, like, completely different dynamic. Just totally different. Okay. Yes. yes. And it's not just the day job in New York. It's life in New York. It's it's hustling. It's fast. And yeah, exactly. You're not uh, going to sit still on the sidewalk. You might get pushed right. over. No, seriously. And just negotiating any little thing, how to get a dinner table when the restaurant's busy and just all that little stuff. That, and it calluses you a little to some extent, but I think that's been just as helpful. It's what people talk about. And it's something when folks ask me about entrepreneurship and should they go into business for themselves, if they have that level of uncertainty that they're even asking the question, then the answer is go work for somebody. Learn on their dime. Go through some experiences. It doesn't have to be more than a year to save money because money doesn't make you happy, but it sure as hell buys you a lot of options. And that's key because I don't generally believe in debt. I strongly discourage debt when anywhere possible. And that doesn't work for everybody because it also tends to mean things go slower and they take more time. But for me as an entrepreneur and as a bootstrapper, it's just the way it's been. I get it. So John, what drives you personally in your business and in the content? Because you're producing a lot of content, man. So what drives you, what's compelling you in your business and in the content that you're putting out there? And produce the honest answer. Yeah, I, of course I want the honest answer. I don't want you to fake it. No, no, but so I got really lucky that when we started this process 10 years ago, I happened to pick YouTube. It wasn't a household name. There was no platform or monetization. Yeah, 10 years ago was a, was a long time yeah. for that medium, yeah, right? It, it was, was. It was really in its infancy. Correct. Yeah. I'm totally a fluke in that sense. So I now sort of feel an obligation because I love it because we I think we are the kind of largest YouTube channel in this CNC spectrum audience. But it's always going to be my story. Like that's what I want it to, to be is this passion of, of sharing and learning. But so what drives me, number one, I 
freaking love CNC machining since the day I found it. Like, taking do you, do you get excited when you see the chip flying yes. off the end? Me too. Oh my gosh, I know. Absolutely. The faster that we can pump yes. up that feed rate, it, I know. It just if, if it goes at a forty-five degree or greater, then I get super excited. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Rooster nesting and how hard can we push that tool dry so that we can get better rooster tails? And I love machining. Yeah. That's at the core of it. But I just always love learning. So like our, some of our most popular videos now are, are these shop tours where we get to travel around the world and see different factories and machine shops, job shops, cool. mom and pop shops. That motivates me. But just, just showing folks you can do it, it to me is, is what makes it worth it. You don't have to have again, multi-generational thing. You know, unfortunately, the U.S. tends to not have the European model of really vested multi-year co-op or what would you call it? Not an internship, but apprenticeship style. Apprenticeship, program. yeah, yeah like the Germans and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so how do you- I did do, one of those. Is that right? Yeah, of course I did, back in a long time ago. Is man. that program still around? The Machinist Apprenticeship Program? Correct. Absolutely, yeah, is, 100%. So, but yes, I oh. have been through a formalized Machinist Apprenticeship Program Decades ago, I learned on the job at my father's company, and we still do formalized apprenticeship programs through a third-party training center. So they go there, they learn the theory. Mm -hmm. They might have some hands-on CNC training there, but really, they're going to get the most of their machining experiences by being in the shop nine hours a day, trial and error. You're going to put an end mill into the vise. You're going to put a drill into the table. I'm not going to put them on my brand new horizontal Mazak. I'm going to put them on a 20-year-old CNC machine where I'm not going to cry too hard if they do that. Sure. So, Would so, you agree, though, that that's something that seems to be unique and less common, though, that sort of a apprenticeship program? It doesn't seem unique or uncommon to me because that's all I know. Got it. And that's what I believe in. And I believe because I've been there it's and great. I've done that. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I believe it's really powerful and it's it's very empowering, quite frankly, yep. for that person to do that. They're learning this theory at a third party and then they're coming and they're applying that theory to actually making. Yep. And there's nothing like a veteran machinist telling you, hey, I think you got that end mill hanging out too far or your setup's really not that rigid. You're going to get a lot of chatter. Right. That bore is going to go oversized the minute you cut that. So yes, all, all of those things. There's well, nothing like on the job. Where, where do you think training is going? I mean, there's a lot of options out there. You you do training at your facility. There's associations that do training. There's pro- for-profit organizations. You have videos. I mean, somebody could probably learn how to machine just by immersing themselves in your videos. Titan, he has his academy, NIMS. Where do you think it's going? Good question. Everything you just said I think is viable. I think what I try to do is let a 13-year-old or a 17-year-old just know what machining is, know that that exists. Too many people don't realize, how did the injection mold that made the shoes that I'm wearing get made? How did that bolt-action rifle get made? I just want you to know that that exists. I don't care if that's not what you want, but I don't want you to realize that existed later in life. And what a machinist is now isn't the same thing when, certainly Jim, when you would have likely gone through a program, because now it can be a quote-unquote machinist could really be somebody whose full-time job is writing custom post-processors. It could be a full-time cam person that's almost more like playing a computer game and simulation type stuff. Or it could be tool and die. There's so many different avenues of it. And I do think it's going to get a little bit more siloed where you have experts in those respective things. What I do know is I struggle with schools. Even the local schools that I try to get involved with, the way the local and city and state and federal programs run is they're behind and specific things like continuing to push high-speed steel tooling, continuing to push stuff on bridge ports. I'm sorry. I don't need someone to know how to run a bridge port anymore. It's just not. I don't either. Okay, so I, I do not have any. So you're taking shop. a stand on that because there's a lot of people that say Boom. you should... I agree with you yeah. on that There's one. a lot of people that yes. say you should start with the basics. The joke that we've no. now sort of adopted is I would rather have a student who can talk to me about JavaScript modifying a post-processor than understands power feed on a bridge port. Don't care about the bridge I, port. I agree with you 100% I don't on need, that, man. You don't need to feel what a reamer feels like going through a hole anymore. We have a speeds and fees library. We have digital tooling. We have, to, we have reps. So you th- It's not saying I don't like that stuff, but it's not where you should be spending. And when you go through a high school program that's two years and the last... 25 days, they introduce them to handwritten G-code. 
no introduce introduce they should have been knowing that from the day one what is go what is a g81 what is an ro plane what is a feed rate so i I, I literally had a conversation i don't even get a chance to tell you about this jim a couple hours ago i talked with a gentleman and he told me you know like how do we partner up with you we're starting our high school machining program and that's cool to hear that yeah it is great but i doubt that they have cnc machines in there so how do they start Oh, how do they start? That's a great question. I mean, actually, it must be a better answer for your new creative director. But it's a Tormach, which where he came out of is a big part of our story because that's the machine I had in my basement that I got started with. And to me, I always cared more about the ability to go from nothing to something. I was never the guy who was saying myself or advising others, oh, go take out a loan for 100K, buy a vertical machining center. You'll figure it out. You'll throw that ER32 into the chuck in the table and you'll have a five-digit spindle repair so I like the Tormach for those reasons. They work great for us nowadays as kind of second-op machines, as a training machines. And then we have a very active internship program where we have two or three people coming through pretty regularly. And so those machines are both affordable for schools, and I believe there's a fair amount of active kind of grant-type money to set up those sorts of labs. So a lot of these high schools could actually probably outsource their their machining program if they needed to. Well, no, what I'm saying is you could probably afford to get enough Tormox in Certainly compared to one VMC would buy a four Tormox. Right. And to me, if you're a student, you've got to make parts. You've got to figure out coordinate systems. You've got to make those mistakes. You've got to use edge finders. You've got to set up tools. It's not just, hey, we've got well, one. Well, I don't think one. they even need edge finders. I think they got to have a probe. Probes. they sure. got to have yeah. a probe. The edge yeah. finders are gone. You know what I, mean? I don't even think we use edge finders anymore. We don't sell a lot of edge finders anymore. No, I would yeah. imagine. Renishaw probes might be where I draw the line, though, on high school kids learning. Because those, those, those are expensive. Yeah, those I know. Expensive, and those, yeah. the stylus are expensive to replace. Yeah. We use I know. timers, though, where you can do all three in one, and that's a pretty yeah. common tool. And yeah. Anyway. You would say don't start with the Bridgeport, though, Correct. even for a high school program. Yeah. So this gentleman called me about how, how he partners with me. So speaking of partnerships and entrepreneurship, I would imagine with the following that you have, you get people all the time calling you up saying, John, I got a great idea. I want to partner up with you. <laughs> What I'm referring to is if somebody comes to you and they're like, John, I have this great idea. I want to go into business with you. No. No. So you've never even like considered I also it. have an article on why we don't do partnerships. Great. It can tell us briefly why. You have to tell us briefly why. Because they don't work, period. Well, this worked. Um, uh, jury, jury's out. That's <laughs> <laughs> good point. <laughs> no. Good and you both have independent, independently we do. successful careers. We do. And you know we what? Do. I've actually cited that as the reason why. I, if this was a real business, this, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I would have I killed them three yeah. years ago. We would have Seri- needed separate hotel rooms, certainly, when we oh, went to California. I, I, I would have pulled his hair out of his head. Yeah. It sounds like you two have complementary skill sets. That's wonderful. Yes. Right. I had that as well in the first business. The, the target business that I alluded to earlier morphed into a camera mount business. Camera uh, mount yeah. business. Mm, interesting. So my partner was a skydiver. Okay. So we were using GoPros. So you have been in a partnership before. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. which was the highs of my life and the lows of my life. And uh, luckily in the end, I learned a, a very cheap lesson at an early age, mm-hmm. which that's the kind of stuff that you can't read in a book and you can't... Even so much as I tell this right now, I'm going to have people who still say, well, I'm still going to do a partnership. Well, I can't help you then. But what I can tell you is that true 50-50 partnerships are very difficult. Having the legal aptitude to properly construct a buy-sell agreement is not only expensive, but most people who want to do this don't have the ability to think through that. It's very analogous to a prenup with your wife. It's just not a fun conversation. I don't don't have one of those. To have? Seriously. We put a lot of time into our buy-sell agreement and and I think we have it at figured out chips. at making chips. I don't think we have it figured out. I think it's good. I think, I it's, think good. it's about as good as it gets. It's very thorough. It was well thought out under a lot of different circumstances. It took into consideration the team that we have and everything because yep. we have a fiduciary duty to those people to sure. make sure that they continue to have jobs. And it worked for you and I with 50-50 when it was not our source of income. We weren't exactly. paying the bills. Now that we're each a third partner, it's it's a little bit different and you have that balance. So. Now we're three. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize it. Yeah. And there's there are exceptions to everything. And again, if you're the type of company that's a true startup where you're raising capital and you have multiple partners and other board, that's totally different. But the some people the, have success with it, John. What was the worst some story people, that came out of your partnership? So it's not okay. it's a, it's a I've been fairly public about it, but ultimately I was not willing to quit my day job. I wasn't willing to both pour my 
savings into a business and risk losing my day job income. My partner wanted to move the business to a remote part of the West Coast. He had a different vision of the company. Yeah, It's funny because as much as I was frustrated and disappointed in how this went, I give him a lot of respect as a partner. He was quite good at the things that he did. And we just we just couldn't figure it out. We didn't enjoy working together. And I will say it was we did a good job of putting the systems and processes in place. We ran that company for probably almost another 18 months or two years without really speaking, where we had a 3PL fulfilling orders. We had contract manufacturing building the products. And that in and of itself was pretty cool, but we couldn't even figure out how to do a buy-sell and the company just ended up others innovated yeah. the camera mounts beyond what the design that we had, so it had a natural path natural closure yeah Yeah. sorry that didn't work out for you but it worked out for the best so i'm not sorry at all i mean truly no it it was good it was it was a great lesson to learn and and a point of pride we had some pretty impressive milestones we sold our targets to the navy seals we sold thousands of camera mounts and that builds a level of confidence you can't replicate as a 26 year old who didn't know what a cnc machine was three years later to be hitting those kind of milestones that is that's that's what it's all about that's fantastic Jim, what is it you like about Zometry? Well, you know, it's funny. I have been using Zometry to manufacture some of my overload parts. And, you know, they're really great with their online technology, how you can just drag and drop a CAD file in and get an instant price. But it's way more than that. They have really nice, intelligent, manufacturing-centric people on their phone lines up until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time that you can call and get answers to your manufacturing solutions. Yeah, so it's not just online, but go online to zometry.com, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. One of the things that that I struggle with is, you mentioned that one of the things that you love is doing the videos. You love CNC machining. And I have the things that I love, doesn't really matter right now, but do you ever get sucked into things that you don't want to do? And how do you how do you keep yourself from getting sucked back out of those? It's a great question. And I think we're at an awkward stage. You know, we're we're too small to have full-time accountants, HR people. So I'm still doing all of that sort of work. So I think one of the ways that we've tackled that is with technology. We're pretty darn progressive in this industry for making sure we have automation built in. You know, we left QuickBooks with pride because it's a horrible piece of software for that kind of work, for automating that, for integrating with our e-commerce, for inventory, all of that. So investing the time to create those processes. I'm a big believer in the franchise model, even though we're not franchising our business and most machine shops or manufacturing you're, companies aren't you're franchising. structured to franchise. Absolutely. Yeah. Have to be. Yeah. So it's just another way of So creating. it's all about implementing processes. Bingo. Yeah. And we, we had an old episode where our integrator, we work according to this business method called EOS, our integrator put a lot of those mm-hmm. processes and systems together and we don't use QuickBooks either. And I don't know how many he said, it was like 25 different like micro and macro software systems that are all integrated mm-hmm. with each other in order to automate and streamline everything that we do. And yep. it's it's quite fascinating what he did. So I give him a lot of credit for that. John, I would contend that the the metalworking nation, the listeners of Making Chips are different than the average manufacturing leader. However, a lot of business owners in our industry mostly ride the wave of growth instead of being intentional. Mm-hmm. How do you manage growth And how have you taken an intentional approach to the growth of your company? Or have have you just let it happen organically? It's it's a bit organically, but I think the three sort of segments, you know, YouTube scales naturally, which is quite wonderful. It doesn't really require any additional work on our front. We're a little bit more serious about it. Right. We have a full-time editor. But otherwise, that's, that's the one that's awesome because it is a scalable software technology type of platform versus the extreme opposite of a true brick and mortar machine tool type business. Sure. The training we've ramped up more classes. They tend to be sold out. We're sold out through December right now. I don't think I'll scale that business at our shop in Zanesville more than it is right now. And I don't think we tend to scale it to remote sites because that's a very difficult thing to do. So the answer to there has been kind of a, we'll grow it to a certain point and then it's a first come first serve business. And then from a true product and manufacturing side, we have made deliberate investments. We went from one machine tool, one Haas, one vertical machine center to now having four in the last few years. We've hired some more people, but ultimately 
it's a funny, I also do a podcast and this morning's episode with my other host was about this very topic of as you transition from effectively what is a lifestyle business, and I don't mean that in the way that the business is run to accommodate my lifestyle, but what I mean is that it's still my business. Saunders Machine Works is not something that would exist for very long without me being there and present. And I don't necessarily want that, but you do have to have some amount of growth to have enough revenue, enough processes in place. You know, I'm still the one that's handling some of the negotiations on, on buying materials and how how we make decisions about replacing the forklift, that kind of stuff. Are you doing the quoting? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but okay. we don't do that much. Because it's all product-based. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. So there's a set price for X, the, Y, and in Z. In fact, most of our stuff is e-commerce. Okay. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay. Correct. We'll do POs and distributor stuff, but on a most of it's just we push them to go direct. And, and so I do want to grow, but to me, I always think about what's what am I getting? What do I want out of this? What's my end goal? And I, I don't actually have a great answer for you. I will say that the business and the trades have been very kind to me. I, I think it's not so common. You find somebody who legitimately enjoys what they do. I hit cycle start less and less every month, and I don't like that. So I choose to not grow to the point where I can't. You know, we got our first five axes three months ago. Darn it, it was fun to just kind of carve out time, even if that costs you some quote unquote growth to make some fun parts. We're building a robot from the movie Short Circuit, the, oh, whole, yeah. the Johnny Five. Yeah. We're building a full yeah. blown from scratch Johnny Five with thousands fun. of parts. That cuts into our growth. But what's this all about if we can't have a little bit of fun? I agree. Have you been motivated to say, you know, open up a training center on the West Coast and on the East Coast utilizing? No. Because no. No, you just don't want to grow that quickly. Well, and the, or uh, that's not your the reason that you're It's doing not that, that I don't want to. It's it, the person I have that runs our classes now is an incredible teacher. I'm very happy with it. I don't care to get into the business of, so that's a great example. What are you selling? In that point, what I'm selling is no longer a training. What I'm selling is my ability to find other people to train them to become expert trainers. And it's actually really put a lot of work into our curriculum, into having the machine set up, all of the we Kanban, everything in the training classes itself. So that whole, our shop basically transforms for like five or six days a month into a training facility, which cuts into some of the production work. So we've streamed- We have to, yeah. Streamlined that process. How do we switch these machines over? All the vices, all the parallels, all the tools, but it's kind of fun. I like that part. Awesome. We talked a little bit before we hit record. We talked about bootstrapping. What is it and how does that concept fit into your business? Look, there's two constraints in life, money and time. And when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, generally speaking, money is much more of the constraint than time. So bootstrapping really ties into your ability to leverage sweat equity, to pour the time into it, to become experts on this subject matter because you don't necessarily have the money. Stretching the dollars that you do have to go the furthest, triaging your capital, figuring out what do I buy, what do I outsource, how do I think through the goal of developing this product or getting it to market. And to me, there's a whole second level to that, which is the character of an entrepreneur. To me, it's a self-filtering process. If you're not interested or willing to do that, as far as an entrepreneur, you're dead to me. If you aren't willing to make that hustle, to read a book about this topic, to figure out how to be an expert on it, even if it's not the end goal, then you're not going to make it, period. You've got to have that drive or else go work for somebody, which isn't, it's funny. You, you guys were mentioning that too before we hit record. I miss working for somebody and I love being an entrepreneur, but First of all, number one rule, you are not allowed to become an entrepreneur just because you don't like your day job. The two things are not correlated in any way. They're not way. correlated in any way. And I think that's an unfortunate thing where folks will conflate the two because they want this vision of the grass is greener, if it's going to be great. I'll tell you, I love what I do and I'm proud of what we've built, but some days I miss being told what to do. I can walk into your shop, Jim, and you can tell me, John, this is the machine. These are the parts I need you to make. This is what I expect of you. And that's how I will judge you. Oh, okay. I can do that. Right. Yeah, I you have an objective. You, you don't have a blank slate in front of you. And I think that's the difference is, do you want that blank slate to create something or do you want to just meet an objective that's given to you? And that's a different mindset. Yeah. As we always say, manufacturing is challenging. It is. And being an entrepreneur is extremely challenging. And some days I know exactly what you mean. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this for all these decades? When am I going to be able to take a real vacation? Some of my peers are taking four weeks at a time off. And I'm like, I look at that and I say, oh my God. Put it on your calendar. That's where it starts. No, I can't do that. You could. I, I no, I couldn't. Could. First of all, I love my wife I dearly. I've been married for 31 years, but I don't think I could go on vacation with my wife for four solid weeks, A. Secondly, just the idea that you can take four weeks away and completely let it go, let your job go. I could not do that. I could not do that. I enjoy entrepreneurship. I enjoy business ownership enough that I want to be engaged 
most of the time. I can minimize. Yeah, but don't you think maybe after it's all over, maybe you'd be a better entrepreneur after that four weeks? Not necessarily. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go right ahead, if, John. If you and I hopped on a plane right now yes. to somewhere without cell service and you were there for 15 days, would car machine be affected? Yes. In, in a negative, in a bad way? Probably. On the quoting, specifically. Uh, yes, because I do 90% of all the quoting. Yep. But yes, because there would be a deficit. The pipeline would start to diminish. So, uh, we're pretty siloed. Mm-hmm. Wear a lot of hats. I'm responsible for this, 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 and this, let's say. So if I wasn't there, there would be a definite burden on my team. So yeah, that would be, for sure. And I'm not ready to give it up quite yet anyway. I I enjoy the daily grind a little bit. Like I said, I'm not willing to completely disengage, but I am willing to let go of a little bit on vacation. Yeah, my team would say, you were gone? Well, they don't like you. <laughs> well, so, a, a friend of mine who who's in the industry who has been a great person to bounce ideas off of and also built up a really wonderful entrepreneurial story. His name's Jay Pearson. He runs a work holding company in Southern California. Oh, we buy all Pearson, his, uh, yeah. yeah, Pearson so, work holding. So every employee at his shop has a major and a minor. And so it would be the analogy here would be there's somebody at, at Car Machine who minors in quoting, which means if you are absent. Yeah, my for, son could do it. Sure. But you're just he, busy right now. He's got enough responsibilities. I wouldn't want to put that burden on him. Fair enough. Maybe someday. Yeah, of course. Anyway, John, we're talking about this. Entrepreneurial manufacturers can take a lot away from this bootstrapping concept. But what does it mean for larger manufacturing businesses? Can they bootstrap? I've never worked at a large company. 50 million plus a year. So I think at some point, there's a toggle that switches and you're able to invest in technology that allows you to innovate. But to me, it's not really a question of the size of your company. It's the ethos of not being wasteful. And I think what what blew my mind was I had the chance to to tour and film over at at Sandvik last year in Sweden. and, And they were on their third generation of... I don't know what they call them, but they're basically automatic forklifts, unmanned forklifts that have a full-blown system. Robotic forklifts, I guess. On one hand, that's extravagant. But on the flip side, number one, they are an incredibly popular, excuse me, incredibly profitable company. And number two, it's a form of innovation that has helped them sort of shift their workforce. So I, I don't think anybody likes to see folks being wasteful. And I think that's a harder thing to manage as companies get larger. But if you have the culture of of investing it with, I hate to say results, because now I'm sounding like a cliched MBA student, but what do you get out of that? Then I think that bootstrap mentality can continue to live on. In other words, you could bootstrap a $37,000 product, just happens to be a larger product versus going for the adding a zero to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I get it. Is it Thank just you. is it just a matter of making continuous improvements and just working as if you want to drive as much profit to the bottom line or just save as much money in order so you don't take on that debt? Well, bootstrapping as it relates to financing is to me totally different. Okay. And and again, there's lots of different ways to think about it. I've seen folks that do just in time at an amazing level, just amazing how they work with their vendors and, and that's phenomenal. And I've seen companies that are very respectable who say, to hell with that. I want a year's worth of raw material in I don't my ever want to run factory, out because that costs period. me and my customers yeah. a lot of money. I don't care what uh, what an MBA student tells me about the reduced ROI because I have working capital tied up. Nope. I'm in the business of making stuff and I can't make stuff unless it is sitting here on my floor to be made. So that's a, I think that's a question that you need to answer for yourself. Yeah. Got it. It's culturally based. You know, it's how you want to run, run your business. Well, it also goes back to the fact that this industry, it just, it won't be completely commoditized because you have to know the person that you're dealing with. You have to know your clients and they have different needs. Yep. So let's move on a little bit to the content creation side. So making chips, our mission has clearly always been equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. So we didn't have that same experience that you did with, with say, NYC, CNC. Jim and I, when we started making chips, we thought about the times that we we're having a glass of wine with a half a dozen manufacturing peers. leaders, peers, yep. and we're talking about our pains. Yep. And the pitch was, how do we publicize yep. these conversations? And we even started like our first episode was over a glass of wine. It was part of it was to get used to talking on the microphone, but part of it, part of it was also like kind of a homage to that sentiment. But who are you talking to with NYCNC? Who do you really oh. want to inspire when you create? 
yeah, the term we use is manufacturing entrepreneur, uh, people that want to make stuff. And, and for me, that that's okay if that's a hobbyist or if it's a weekend warrior. I don't need to segment them into a true market because I'm not selling them something that they need to, the only cost for them is their time of watching and following our story, which I hope, I will actually don't hope, it will always remain a wholesome side of the story. I do a podcast as well. And it's funny what you just mentioned, because I love what I do. I love being an entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean on a not uncommon basis is I have questions about my decisions. You can be lonely. I can have questions about my own it self-confidence. Yep. We, we make bad decisions. Yep. And I think I'm not interested in the fake rah-rah happiness. We're always crushing it. We're always busy. And granted, we've had a good 10-year run in the U.S., so it's been easy to hear that story. It's starting um, to weaken a little but bit. But it is not, yes. How the heck do you figure out insurance? How do you negotiate PNC insurance for your for your building? Do you rent a shop? Do I need to buy a CMM next or do I need to buy automation for my five axis? Or it could we be just talked about that today. Is it matter of They're fun to talk yeah. about, but then they're not funny because darn no. it, this is important. This is hard. It's, or, it, or it could be, I, I need decision. to hire this person or this person just gave me their resignation and I don't know what to do. Yeah. So anybody who has those sorts of questions to me is a, is a good candidate for, for our audience. So, John, how do you believe YouTube and or social media has changed manufacturing and the perception of it? Oh, there's no question the perception is improved, I think, because of what we talked about earlier. Folks see the role in technology. They see automation. They see what a machinist is and isn't in a much easier and more digestible way. It's never really changed my perception because that's been my only perception. But we, we get a lot of bad PR, right? Sure. I see parents of young students who still think that the machine shop is is what what they think of as really a cast iron casting facility. Because no. their great uncle lost three fingers on the punch press, right? right. Right. And that's all they remember. Right. Well, we don't allow manual lays in our shop for, you know, kidding. <laughs> no, it's it's totally different like that. And I think the accessibility, you know, we live in the best country at the best point in time in human history with the access to learn, to to work for somebody else or to work for yourself with this suite of things you would need to succeed as a manufacturing entrepreneur. With things like Instagram, with YouTube, you can learn it. And a lot of times it's not necessarily mastering the content. It's just figuring out what the question I need to ask. I think that for a lot of reasons, and part of it is thanks to you for creating a lot of these videos, manufacturing entrepreneurship is really poised to explode even more than what it is now. I think people get concerned that like the jobs are only going to go to the big manufacturers. I think it's the opposite. Oh yeah, sure. I think it's the opposite. I mean, and we have friends of ours like like Brandon who he's really bootstrapping it in order to create a new business too and I think that is the future of manufacturing and you know thanks to you for helping to drive part of that. I do want to touch on that just a little bit though. My dad always used to say they may know how to run a bridgeport but they don't know how to run a business. Mm -hmm. They're two entirely yeah. different dynamics. So it's about being that tactician and then also learning the business. There skills. is I mean I think it's very siloed on how to run a machine. I think it's a it's a unique skill set, but I also think that running a business is very wide. You've got to be very I don't want to use the word smart, but you got to be resilient. Well, and you have to be willing to learn, like John said. I mean, that was why, right. why that whole like e myth book was created. I didn't because, read that. Yeah, Sorry. I, mean, I know. No, that's Sorry. A, I've got him to read one book in the time that we and did. I loved and it. I, and, and I, was, I loved it. And I got it. And I'm proud of you for reading. Thank that. you. You know, I recommend two books, and that's Go. it. I recommend the e myth revisited. Okay, and I recommend uh, write it down. Dale but Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence oh, yeah. People. It has nothing to do one would necessarily think with business, but it has everything to do with understanding the dynamics of selling because you are always selling. Right now, I am selling Jim and Jason on why they, I was a good decision to come out as a guest host. Yeah, we're because selling we're cool, your right? audience on how to uh, on how to <laughs> listen to the rest of this podcast and not switch it over to the radio. Like you're always selling. Yeah. Always. You're always promoting your brand, right? Yes. Yeah, selling is not a dirty word. I think it is not it, a dirty it used word. to be, it'd be like, oh, salesman. No, right. you're right. You're absolutely always selling. So this goes back again to like content creation. So our businesses are a little bit different than yours. You know, you have, you have a YouTube channel, you have your training, and you have your own line of products. Jim's business is, I would say, more along the lines of traditional B2B. You're B2B as well, but maybe Jim's a contract manufacturer. I'm a tooling distributor. Could we or companies like us 
utilize social media or YouTube in order to grow their business or just meet the objectives that I we have in our business? I can answer that question. Of course uh, we well, can. Well, I know, but I want to hear yeah. it from John. He yeah. has more credibility with me well, than you no, do, yeah. Jim. No, he does. Yes, but I, I would challenge it with what's the what's the goal here and, and who are your customers? I see a, a fair amount of social media done wrong. Regurgitating a corporate PDF into an Instagram post, you're, you're dead to me. Like, I'm not going to look at that. It's not interesting. To me, you've got to be a, a little bit more insightful, sometimes self-deprecating. And, you know, for companies like yours, Jim, YouTube may just be the best vehicle for you for recruiting. It may have nothing to do with your customers. Right. So it's what are you trying to do with it? And how are you trying to change the perception? Because keep in mind, nowadays, you, you know, you talk about recruiting workforce, you've got to sell to them too. And so when I go Google companies and you can't even find them. I mean, they don't even have a website? Different, yeah. Or, or they have a website that's bad or it's a question, what do you want to do? What story do you want to be part of? Sure. Uh, how do you want to interact with that? With what you're doing, I don't know as much about your business, but there's some pretty cool stuff and disruptive stuff going on in that industry. So how are people implementing Tool cribs is the one that's been on my mind a lot, or vending machines, or automation, or tying into ERP systems. These are real problems. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're doing some disruptive stuff. We're just not public about it. Intentionally public, not or private, um, or just haven't gotten around to. Talk. I would say partially intentional, and and partially because we just don't haven't had the time. Busy with making chips, and also busy with the growth. So, but yeah. we need to become intentional. So. What mistakes have you seen people make? You mentioned regurgitation. You mentioned mm-hmm. maybe not being honest about who you are and showing your bumps and your bruises and stuff like that? It's actually incredibly easy to succeed with things like social media. Just go look at what you like. Go look at what your employees like to see. Go look at what other people are engaging with. So I'll give you an example. A machine tool builder that's getting ready for emo right now, if they're putting out Instagram videos- Getting ready for what? Oh, emo. Emo, emo, the big trade show. Yeah, in Germany. If they're putting out videos showing, hey, here's how we create up the machine, that's actually kind of interesting to some people. Here's the challenges or- I would never, I would not know how that's done, right? It's probably quite yeah, in- kind of interesting it's right? kind of interesting or like <laughs> oh we, we goofed on this we were going to figure this out or here's the test cuts that we're trying to figure out versus another company that said we're proud to announce that craig xyz has been promoted to the senior vice president of oh, regional managing director in, in conjunction awful. for the trade show boring as hell what that distills down to is it's not about me it's about you it's not about what my company gets out of this it's not about my new Bingo. product don't overtly sell this to me you may have a really 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 cool new automation system but you don't have to throw it in your face about what we have just come out with or what i've just come out with spin it around and say hey this is this is what we're hoping is going to work or change or show it in in situ in a more subtle more more community social media it's supposed to be a communication it's supposed to be a two-way conversation not you're just not a, just pushing exactly you're pulling too yeah right. i i totally get it and that has to should be intentional so, John, it's been a pleasure. I've never talked to you. I've never met you before, obviously. And quite frankly, I'll be quite honest, I haven't watched all that many of your videos. So, No offense taken. Yeah, not at all. But it, I will admit that it, I really have genuinely enjoyed talking to you and, and sharing your story. Jim's kind of afraid to go to the shop anyway. So, you know, what use would he have for one? <laughs> no, I am. One thing I am, I'm, I'm really sincere. And I just want to tell you that you've had a lot of success over the last 10 years. What do you see in the next short-term one to three years? And a lot can happen in one to three years, but what do you see NYC, CNC, and SMW doing in the next one to three? Sure. Training classes are going to be adding a fifth axis class because we had so much demand. That has completely rejuvenated my passion. I don't know how to say this other than I got tired of doing six setups and all that hassle and soft jaws and sign vices because I don't have that much time and I don't enjoy it anymore and I know I can do it so I don't need to prove it. And so having a five axis now where we can do that stuff has been completely amazing. It's completely changed how I work with others and thinking about recommending their first machine or their second machine because it's just been that. And I may be behind the times compared to some of your audience who have multiple machines, but darn it, there's plenty of three-axis shops out there where I'm not thinking, holy cow. So training, we're going to add that. YouTube, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. I love, we have the unique chance to basically film where many others don't because of this brand that we've built, which is pretty darn cool. I will never tire of touring factories. I will be pitching Jim later and maybe even you, Jason, to come see the insides of your shops Love and that. film them and share that insight. How do you do things? What is difficult? What's your story? What are you good at? What are you not good at? That's another great thing for entrepreneurs. Be okay with what you're not good at, but then figure out how to supplement that. And then for Saunders, 
we need a second five axis. Joking aside, I need to get a lathe. Looking at a CMM, that five axis I'd like to get with automation, which ties into one of my favorite sayings, which is growth eats cash for breakfast. It certainly does. And lunch too. Yeah, right? And lunch. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for being here with us and for breaking from your vacation. And please tell your wife, thank you for letting you go for a little while, unless she was happy to let you go. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim, Jason. Pleasure. So Jim, did you learn something here? I learned a ton. I learned that it's okay to not be okay. I, I actually wanted to talk to you about that. I mean, you know, I don't think like self-deprecating is maybe the right word to use with you, but like talk about the mistakes you make and the issues you have and stuff like that. And I think that talk that about will, my mistakes. Yeah, and issues I think I've that had? will. Re- I know. I know you don't like to say you're sorry. No, um, no. Or maybe well, it's just you don't like to say you're sorry to me. But yeah. so I thought about that. Where have I made mistakes? I mean, we've all made mistakes. Oh my God, I made a ton of them. Why don't my, we do a whole episode about all the mistakes that we've made? That could be for our 200. I've got, I've got several. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, like because that. we all make mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, you're never going to grow. And you're not making money. Well, that's true. If you're not, if you're not making mistakes, you're not making money. Pam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. Move slow. I may be a generation older, but I still understand what you're coming. I move from. slow because I love you, and I'll make sure that you, you know, <laughs> well, you're, you're staying you. with me. Aww. You're kind.